Hello, and welcome to our 22nd podcast, Climate Migration. My name is Dave Ingram, and I am joined, as always, by Max Rudolph. Thank you for joining our Crossing Thin Ice podcast presented by Actuarial Risk Management. We hope you also check out our free quarterly newsletter and webinar. And before we get started, let me mention that nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. We are here to educate and perhaps entertain. When we think of climate change, images of temperature and sea level rise, droughts, and wildfires might come to mind. But each of these physical events will have an immense impact on the people who live in different locations around the world. Today, Max will look at the causes and implications of migrations of people that will be driven by climate change. Let's get started. Despite recent heat waves and drought conditions, most of us don't need to spend much time thinking about a heat-induced death. We can always escape indoors to air conditioning and tend to live in areas with green spaces that provide recreation as well as cool the area relative to spaces dominated by buildings and concrete. Rising temperatures matter. The human body starts to overheat at 95 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 Celsius, um, and that uses the wet bulb temperature. And that's equivalent so that 95 degrees Fahrenheit is equivalent to 115 degrees Fahrenheit with 50% humidity. Um, and the problem is you lose the ability to sweat at, at this temperature. Uh, if a person does not get periodic relief to de-stress below this level, either by moving to a cooled area. If a person does not get periodic relief to de-stress below this level, either by moving to a cooled area uh, or the temperature naturally falls, they will die within a few hours, even if the person is hydrated. It's very dangerous, makes it difficult to live in areas where these temperatures are becoming more common, especially for those at lower socioeconomic levels that also work outdoors. Policy solutions are limited and often merely slow the warming trend. One global solution is to reduce greenhouse gases. Another uses geoengineering techniques that have not yet been demonstrated at scale. Uh, to capture carbon from the atmosphere and oceans, or to introduce sulfates temporarily like a volcano does. Forced climate migration is the most likely outcome. A coordinated global response to move people to locations where they can succeed would be useful, but currently unlikely. Temperatures frequently exceed uh, this, this um, wet bulb level uh, already in some areas of the Middle East and Pakistan. Syria shows how climate change acts as a threat multiplier, leading to conflict over resources and challenges for all who remain. With climate solutions still far off, the global community needs to make decisions about how to help people in these overheated environments. While some of these regions financially have built wealth from fossil fuel extraction, others have not. In Pakistan, over 35% live in poverty, it's about $4 per day. Uh, and part of the country is susceptible to, to sea level rise. Rich countries may be able to subsidize air conditioning and water desalinization, but the most likely solution for poorer countries is large-scale migration. Many questions need to be considered, including who is allowed to migrate and where they could go. Ukrainian refugees have recently been accepted by many countries, but geopolitical winds change quickly and immigration is consistently a hot topic. Refugees from Syria have suffered greatly as they seek a permanent home. 
Climate migration can be driven by temperatures alone or a combination of heat and drought. Lack of moisture leads to food insecurity and regional conflicts over sources of fresh water. Perhaps Malthus will finally be proven correct and traditional depopulation methods of war, famine, and disease will naturally reduce the global population. Let's hope we are smarter than that and seek practical solutions around realistic outcomes. Before we move on to part two of today's podcast, we want to tell you about ARM's ERM Advisory Services. Our ERM Advisory Team, led by Max Rudolph and myself, Dave Ingram, are available to provide a wide range of support to your enterprise risk management program. Here are two examples of recent projects. The first was on risk appetite and tolerance. Risk appetite and tolerance statements are the key linkages between ERM and com company strategy. We worked with an insurer to provide a very practical approach to setting up and updating their risk appetite and tolerance statement using examples from other insurers we also provide an approach to linking risk appetite and tolerance to individual risk limits. The second project was an ORSA and capital adequacy project. We worked with an insurer to develop their first ORSA and provide guidance on streamlining and leveraging existing processes that supported the ORSA. In addition, we are happy to discuss your situation and how we might provide you with the help that you need to move forward from our decades of experience working with insurer ERM programs. Uh, what is green space and, and how does it improve quality of life? Heat islands occur in, in urban areas with, with lots of cement and buildings, and even air conditioning releases the heat collected from indoors and releases it back into the atmosphere. These areas can be 10 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the corresponding green spaces that are nearby. Uh, areas where higher socioeconomic classes live tend to have tree-lined streets and landscaped yards. Uh, this all costs money that lower socioeconomic classes just don't have. Uh, this has been an area of recent study nationally and, and, project, and projects are being implemented to help uh, with this discontinuity uh, in, in some major cities uh, as we speak. Uh, interestingly, as, as an example, in, in Singapore, regulations actually require green infrastructure to be built into any development to, to replace what was lost when you started digging. Uh, and it has turned into a, a beautiful city-state that really um, uh, has followed through on, on that initiative. Yeah, there are parts of Singapore that are very nice that way. An another concept you mentioned is wet bulb temperature. Uh, wh what does that mean? Yeah, this isn't easy to comprehend. I've, I've had to revisit the definition and stories about it several times, and, and I'm still learning. Uh, it's defined using a thermometer wrapped in a wet cloth to show the impact of humidity and wind, along with radiation as, as defined by the angle of the sun. Uh, to the, the, the person at the time. Uh, a 95 degree wet bulb temperature, which is the one that, that we end up talking about as being the, the level that, you know, you reach that point and it's a problem. Uh, it's the same as we might think of 115 degrees Fahrenheit with 50% humidity. So, so not, a, not, a, 
not a, a temperature that you want to really walk into. But it's designed to mirror the conditions when, when a human can no longer sweat to dissipate internal heat. A period as short as six hours in these conditions can, can lead to death. And this is starting to be used to manage outdoor activities, even here in the U.S., such as um, I've seen high school football practices and games be, be canceled because of the wet bulb temperature. But the bigger concern is really in the, in the Middle East and in, in zones near the equator, uh, where a portion of the population lives without the ability to get relief from temperatures cooling at night uh, or from air conditioning. Where, where there's no break from these conditions, a, a human's organs will start to shut down. That's, that's the problem when we don't sweat. And all living creatures, not just humans, uh, but all living creatures in the ecosystem will be, will be impacted by this. Yeah, I noticed this summer in, in, in some of the areas in the, in the southern part of the United States, there were weeks or months that went by when some of the places had uh, high temperatures over 100 every single day for, for quite a long time. So it's it's not a distant problem necessarily. No, and that becomes a problem even in the U.S. for homeless populations and, and others who don't have access uh, to air conditioning, especially. So, Max, what areas of the world are expected to have excess populations where there's already signs of of uh, demographic stress um, as as populations shrink? Well, the largest population growth this century is, is expected to be in, in sub-Saharan countries, especially Nigeria, and then along with India, which is continuing its fairly quick growth. Most of the Western democracies are being stressed due to the low fertility rates that we talked about earlier. Japan is not a surprise to be in this camp, but, but China's population has quite literally already peaked and will reduce or expected to reduce by half this century. And that's, that's according to the, the UN projections. And that's, so that's under current assumptions. Uh, and so, there's some uh, concern that the, the data coming out of China, that the, the numbers, especially for youth, are too high, that there's actually fewer youth than the Chinese have been reporting. Uh, so an immigration plan for all these countries, along with uh, updated economic growth uh, metrics, such as replacing GDP with GDP per capita, something that, that isn't really listed uh, based on absolute dollars, but dollars per person, uh, I think that would really help uh, quite a bit. Dave, climate migration is a subset of, of general migration. Some of us learned from the movie Ice Age 2 uh, about an event at the end of the Ice Age in northern Canada when a, a glacier dam failed and forced, forced a, a real migration. Um, what can we learn from historical migrations that were not environmentally driven as we move forward? I think that a lot of historical migrations were climate driven ultimately the other main driver of 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 migrations has been wars and often those wars are are uh ultimately caused by uh climate changes which which change the ability of one group or another to sustain themselves where they're living throughout history the impact of migrations has just been immense particularly you, you look at ancient history you look at, for instance, Greek history that uh, we talk about a lot, that uh, 
there was an ancient Greek civilization that was supplanted by invaders, the Dorians, who, who took over the whole area of Greece and supplanted the, the ancient civilization that was, uh, you know, included the, the Minoans. And, uh, you also had uh, the, the collapse of the entire Eastern Mediterranean civilization uh, with a, an, an invasion, a migration from what were called the Sea Peoples, which is a mysterious event uh, is is sort of lost in prehistory. We all forget, those of us that are sitting here in the United States, that we're here because of a gigantic migration. And, and that uh, that is one that may or may not have been driven by climate, uh, but there were millions of folks that came to uh, the United States, what's now the United States, uh, over the years in several ways of migration, the original Native American migrations from Asia and, and then the later migrations from mostly Europe, but also from other areas as well. So these migrations have just had immense impact on on, on people's lives. The idea that the climate change that that we see coming is likely to spur could be a huge wave of great of migrations it is just another aspect to climate change that i i wasn't aware of uh, before this discussion so thanks for bringing it into our attention max thanks dave one other group that that i think of with the north american migration was those that were looking to to practice their religion freely and that all all fits within all of that as well i, I think you make a good point about the wars and climate and the interaction between all those. Climate-induced migration has the potential to equal or exceed the global impact of similar migrations throughout the history and prehistory of mankind. We suggest that this is one risk that definitely belongs on your emerging risk list for future monitoring. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Crossing Thin Ice, presented by Actuarial Risk Management. If you found it valuable, please share with others, like, and subscribe.